Well, good morning, church. Praise God. It's been a wonderful time of worship. Just getting the presence of the Lord, preparing our hearts, and just coming before God, knowing that, man, we depend on Him. He's been so good to us in so many ways, but of course, life has its challenges as well. And uh, it is so good to know that we can come into His presence and be comforted by Him, encouraged by Him, and by His presence. And I trust you are already, after the time of worship, encouraged already, and prepared to connect now with the Word of God. Welcome to those of you watching online, those of you listening. It is great to be together again and uh, let's dive into the message today we continue with our series money matters and uh, today is part three the prosperity and poverty gospels now you know you might be thinking man is it so many things going on so many things you could talk about why talk about money and if you've been here in the first two sessions uh, and if you haven't please go and and watch them and listen to them Uh, we we discovered one thing that you know what the bible says about money has to do with what is inside of us. You know, it is something important in our lives. Of course, we all need positions. We all need uh, money. And in those first two sessions, we came to realize something that not many people understand. Not all Christians even understand fully what we studied in those first two uh, lessons, which is this. The purpose of life, (laughs) okay? The purpose of life, the reason why you are alive, the reason why you are here is really to manage the resources given to us. (laughs) All right? God has given you a choice. He has given you your body, your abilities, your giftings, your mind, your strength. Okay? Now, we don't all have the same strength. We don't all have the same gifts. Okay? Some are taller. Some are normal like me. And uh, But the fact is that we're all different. Okay? But with whatever we've got... God gives us life, and he says, live in this planet, and manage this planet for me, okay? Manage the resources I give you, the life I give you, the capacity I give you, the money I entrust to you, your your wife, your husband, your children, okay? Uh, Whatever I give it to you, look after it according to my principles, according to my values, okay? Not the way you want it. Do it the way I want it. Because as we saw in the, right from the beginning, everything belongs to God. And we'll say it again today. The Word of God is filled with this. And so the purpose of life is to manage the resources given to us and not to hold on tight to those resources as if they belong to us. Now, so many of us, and that's why I say even Christians sometimes fall prey to this. Because we are under this impression that it is scarce. There is not enough to go around. Now you say, but Pastor, it's not an impression. It is true. There is enough to go around. Look at me. I haven't got enough money. I haven't got enough. No, no, I, I understand what you're saying. But what I'm saying is this. In this world, in this planet that God has given us, there is enough resources for everybody. And the reason why we are struggling, the reason why some people are lacking and some have lots and some have nothing, is because of the management system that we as humans are carrying out in this planet. Because as humans, we've turned our back to God, we think we own this. We think that this is all that there is. And so some people have become very greedy and they mismanage the resources. The more powerful people. And then the less powerful people have to kind of put up with what is left over. There is enough food in this planet to feed everybody. Our population can still grow. 
you know, we are on more than 7 billion right now. We can grow a little bit more, <laughs> okay? And there is enough resources in this planet to feed everybody. So why are people going hungry? The management system, the governments, the institutions, and people themselves are messing the system up. But we need to understand this. As children of God, we need to connect with him, with his resources, with his way of thinking, with his way of doing things. And so God gives us things in this life not to hoard, but to manage for his glory. And we, we need to have that mindset of stewards, that word you've been hearing from day one in this series. We are stewards, not owners. We think we are because we work hard for that stuff, don't you? We work hard for the stuff that we had, that we have. And because we work hard for it, because we paid for it, we think it is ours. Who gave you the ability to work for it in the first place? Who gave you the ability to do business? Who gave you the skills to do the work that you do skillfully? Who gave you the strength, the energy? Who keeps you breathing every day so that you can do what you do? You see, we, 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 we depend on God. Life is so fragile, and you know this. Somebody's here today, gone tomorrow. You know, our life is so fragile. So every single second of our lives is because God is keeping this whole system going. He's keeping us breathing. He's keeping us thinking and enabling us to do the work. Whether it's physical work, academic work, brain work, whatever, we do it because he gives us the power to do it. And so we are stewards, not owners. And, you know, a remark has been made that this series, although it's called Money Matter, is not just about money. And it's true. Because it's, it's about an inner attitude. Okay? It's about the heart. It's about a mindset. It's about how you think. It's about how you view the world. Why? Because how you handle money, it's an external thing. Okay? The external stuff is a reflection of what goes on inside. And so we need to learn about external things. You know, those of you that came yesterday, we had a great time yeah, with the budgeting seminar. Those that didn't come, you missed it. You made a good opportunity. But it was practical stuff. And those are things you have to do on the outside. But you know what? Even what we learned here in, in budgeting, it is not going to work unless inside we are sorted out. Unless inside we believe this is necessary. Unless inside we believe this is God's will for my life. Unless inside I have the discipline to apply those principles and do the work of thinking, planning, budgeting, and then sticking to the budget every single week, every single month, every single year, so that certain goals can be achieved. And so all has to do with inside, but we also have to deal with the ex uh, external stuff. And from ancient times, people think that what they have is theirs, and that is all that matters, okay? And in the world, people look at you, and the first thing they're looking is, what do you look like? What are you wearing? Name brands or El Cheapos? Huh? Where, where are you staying? Well, what car are you driving? What's the size of your house? And people are judging us by the externals. And they put value on you because of the externals. They don't try to figure out who you are as a person. They don't inquire about your character. Are you a trustworthy person? Are you an honest person? Are you a kind person? And when God looks at you, he doesn't look to the outside. He looks to the inside. He looks to the stuff 
that counts. And that's the first level of our stewardship, of our management system, is connecting inside with who God is, with his character. But as I say, from ancient times, it's nothing new. People trying to hoard stuff and to keep stuff and, and to fight for stuff and, and to trample on you so that they can, they can get the stuff. And, and fighting over all sorts of things so they can get more money. It's nothing new. People have always had this ideal. Jesus once told a story. You find the story in Luke chapter 12. It's, it's, it's about a certain rich man. He had big fields and the fields of the certain rich man yielded a great harvest that year. Abundant harvest. And so he said to himself, my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, I've got more harvest than storage space. And so he had a bright idea. He says, I know what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my existing barns. I'm going to tear them all down. I'm going to build new barns, big, massive ones. I'm going to put all my harvest, all my stuff in there. And then, and then he said the following. Luke chapter 12, verse 19 to 21. He said, and then I'll say to myself, Man, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. <laughs> Take life easy. Eat and drink and be merry. That sounds like a good retirement plan, doesn't it? <laughs> All right. You store up, now relax. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, hey, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. And this, Jesus said, this is how it will be. With whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Mm, ouch. All right. Jesus made the following statement in Luke 12, 15. Jesus said to them, watch out. Be on your God against all Kinds of greed. Greed. You know, gimme, gimme, gimme. Okay. Be we aware of all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And yet our society today, as I said, they measure you by how much possessions do you have. The more you have, the better person you are, the more successful you are, the more popular you are. You must be a great guy if you've got so many possessions. Be careful, Jesus said. Be careful with that. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, the problem with greed is that it holds us hostage to possessions. We think we possess the possessions, but in reality, the possessions possess us. Greed holds us hostage to that uh, stuff. And um, all addictions, of all the addictions, greed is never totally uh, satisfied. It, it's, like, it's like any addiction. Once you become addicted to something, you want more and more and more and more, and it's never satisfied. And when you're greedy, the same thing happens. Your greediness for stuff never ends. You, you want, once I get here, I'll have enough. Once I've got that car and that house, I'll be satisfied. And then you work hard. And, 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 and you know, you work long hours and you ignore your family. You ignore your health. You work, you work, you work, you work. And then you got enough and then you get that car and you get that house. You go, yay, I got it. And then one day you sit in your lounge, you look around and you say, this is not enough. I want more. And off you go again. More, 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 more. They continue to draw you, never satisfied. 
And yet, money and possessions continue to be the standard by which the world measures success and happiness. But like in the story of the rich fool that Jesus told, nothing is really ours. That man thought that he had everything. That he had the barns, he had the farm, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna live well for this. He thought he had it all. Meantime, that night, he would die. And he could not carry the barns and the stuff with him. He had to give an account to God for his life. And he had done a lot of investment on the earth, but not in heaven. We heard last week, the day of accounting is coming. And what we do here, what the work we do here, how we do our stewardship, how we look after our stuff, how we look after our life, how we handle our life, is going to determine the reward on the other side. It's not about salvation. Salvation is in the Lord. I'm not talking about salvation. You, you believe in Jesus Christ, man, you go into heaven. But at that judgment, there's going to be rewards given. And the reward is based on your stewardship. If you only think of yourself, and you only look after yourself, and you only spend money on yourself and on earthly things, and you do not think of eternity, you do not think of the work of the Lord, you do not think of the commandments of God to give to His work, you don't get involved in helping other people come to Jesus, you don't use your life, your time, your gifts, your talents in the work of the Lord, you're storing nothing up there. And so you're going to get up there and <laughs> you're going to be like, that's it, you made it. But that's it, no reward for you. Kind of embarrassing. Okay? So I want to I wanna arrive there and, and hear those words of Jesus. Well done. Good servant. All right? And that should be all our, uh, our desire for all of us. So, what's wrong with money and positions? Is it wrong to desire to earn more and to have more? Is it a sin to desire a better life for me and, and for my family? And, and many people will be quick to remind you, hey, 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 listen, money is the root of all evil. Don't, 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 you don't need to desire any of these things. No, 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 no. Money is the root of all evil. Get away from it. Get away from it. Oh, I don't know. Is that what the Bible says? Let's take a look. And let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6. But not just at verse, let's read the whole context. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness has to do with a life pleasing to God. Live a life pleasing to God. How? By obeying God's word. By living at peace with God. And be content. We've spoken here many times before, and, and Paul is a great teacher of contentment. Be content with what you have. It, it's okay to desire more. It's okay to aim for more. But right now, look around you and be content. Be grateful for what you have. Okay? So don't only think of, there, once I get there, I'll be content. No. Learn to be content right where you are. I'm telling you something. If you're not content right now where you are, you are not going to be content later on when you've got 10 times or 100 times what you've got. And I've seen this, people. People say, oh, once I get this, once I get that, once I get my promotion, once I make so much, then I'll be content. And then I watch them. They get the promotion. They get the position. They get the money. And they're still not content. Because you need to be, learn to be content in the Lord, with the Lord, right where you are. Doesn't mean you are careless about your future. You're not careless about your future. You plan for your future. The Bible talks about that, about planning, about, you know, making sums, about preparing, about leaving an inheritance. The Bible talks about all that. So there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm saying it's a journey. And in this journey, you learn, learn to be content where you are as you travel along. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world. 
Remember when you were born? You don't remember, but your parents do. You came alone. Nothing else came out, only you. No treasure, no money, no inheritance, next, just you. We came with nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You don't take stuff with you when you die. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And I read a statement that said, who are you talking about? Because some people are not content with food and clothing. And they would food, clothing, cell phone, you know, and a whole bunch of other things. Listen, he's talking about let God supply the necessities of life, okay? Those with, with the, with the essential, uh, essential necessities of life, be content with that. And then he says, those that want to want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, here's the verse. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, check this out. He says, for the love of money. The Bible doesn't say that money is a root or the root of all evil. It's not money. It says the love of money. And when he says, yeah, this, this, for the love of money, the Greek word used here is the same word for, for avarice, for that greediness, greediness for money. The love of money. I've got to have money, 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 money. Give me money. All right? Um, when he says there, uh, some people eager for money. The Greek word over there means to, to stretch oneself out, okay, in order to touch or grasp something. In other words, he's giving up himself, his, whole, his, his own life for the love of money. He's so greedy, wants to get, in other words, his whole focus is about money. The love of money, he's focused on money. That's all he thinks of, that's all he wants. And, and it's, it's that almost like worshiping money. I love money. I've got to have money. Uh, again, it's almost like an addiction. I've got to have it. All right? The love of money. You see, money is neutral. You can take a note, take a hundred rand. 200 rand, hold it in your hand, 50 bucks, 50 cents, you know, just, just hold it in your hand. It's money, it's paper, it's metal. Nothing you can put it down, it's got no life of its own. It's neutral. We give it life. We decide what's going to happen with this money, okay? What's it going to do? And we decide how much we treasure this thing, you know? Are we going to hold it in a tight hand? It's mine, 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 mine. Or are you going to say, Lord, it's yours. I'm just managing it. What shall I do with it? Because it is your money. And we, do, we don't have time to go into all the Bible verses, but there are plenty of verses in the Bible. And next week, we'll deal with some, with some of them. Plenty of verses in the Bible that teach us and talk to us about how we should handle money and possessions. Okay? And so if we understand this concept of stewardship, we realize that money is a tool in our hands. And yes, that tool is very useful in helping us in putting food in our stomachs and providing us a place to stay and, and some comfort. Nothing wrong with that. But it must be used in balance with the will of God. And we 
are the ones in charge or in making decisions under the authority of God. We decide what to do with money. We have the money. The money doesn't have us. When I have the love of money, the money has me. Do you understand? There's a difference. There's a difference. There's a difference. And by the way, you don't have to be rich to love money. I've known many poor people. Man, they love money. They are as greedy as anything. They don't have much. But whatever they have, they hold on to. And they will share nothing with anybody. And I know some rich people who are very generous. They do not hold on to that money. They share. They give. All right? And so it's not to do with how much you've got. You can be rich and greedy, or you can be poor and greedy. (laughs) And you can be poor and generous, or rich and generous. I've known some poor people that are very generous. They just don't stop giving. And somehow the Lord manages to bless them in such a way that they always have something to give. They never have a lot, but they always have something to give and to bless. And they're always giving out. Okay? So that is the dynamics and the economy of God. When we learn to submit to his principles and to his ideas. Be stewardship. And so the love of money, the focused desire to give yourself up, your values, your time, your talents, for the sole purpose of making money, that is the problem. Not the money. (laughs) Okay? It's our attitude. The problem is not the money, which is an external thing. The problem is you. It's internal. Your desire, your eagerness, your greed to get that stuff going and to live under the bondage of money. Matthew 6.24, Jesus makes an interesting statement, actually an alarming statement, if you understand this. Matthew 6.24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Hmm? Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In the King James, it says mammon. Okay, and I'll get you that word just now. God and money. Now, when Jesus says this, it's interesting. Um, he's not saying, people, I think you should consider this. And uh, I advise you not to serve God and money. Because I don't think it's going to work out. You know, he's not giving us an advice. He's saying, listen, it is impossible Jesus is making a statement. He's he's giving us a reality. He's stating a law. Guys, it is impossible. You cannot give yourself to God and give yourself to money at the same time. It is impossible. And when he says there, look at this. He says, you cannot serve two masters. The word serve in that verse in the original Greek is the same word for slave. So God is saying, Jesus is saying, listen, you cannot be a slave of God and a slave of money. You see, <laughs> the word servant, which we call ourselves, you are servants of God. And that's all Christians. The word steward, steward is what? Is a servant. Actually, he's a slave. <laughs> all right? If a master means he owns everything. And we saw already in the first two sessions that God owns everything, even my life. He owns. My body is his. I've been bought with a great price. I own nothing really. Because everything I have, everything I've got, everything you see standing before you can be taken away from me just like that. 
The only thing I really have is a relationship with God. And because of that relationship, I know, I don't know about you, but I know I've got an eternity and I've got a reward in heaven. I know that I'm going to live forever in a glorified body which will never perish, will never have back aches and bone aches and other aches and pains. Okay? I'm going to live forever in that body and I'm going to rule and reign with Jesus. Why? Because I'm a great guy? No, because he loves me. Okay? Because of his grace. And because I've been endeavoring from my young days, since a young man, to live according to God's principles and manage my life in a way that is pleasing to him. Sometimes I don't like it. I don't like what he asks me to do. It, 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 it requires effort. Sometimes it's embarrassing, you know, in terms of the opinion of others. But I'm being willing to follow the Lord. I've been trying to, to manage my finances, my positions in a way that is not greediness, in a way that glorifies his name, you know, doing whatever I can for his work and so forth. And so I'm pretty confident, okay, that I am investing in the kingdom of God. I never forget as a child in Sunday school, the Sunday school teacher said to us, you know, you've got to build a building in heaven. And he said, and how do you do it? Do you take bricks and you throw them up into heaven and Jesus catches them and builds a house there? He said, we can't, we can't chop this. No, it's not like that. You don't build a house in heaven by throwing bricks into heaven. You build a house in heaven by being obedient to Jesus. By doing what he says. Becoming the kind of boy, the kind of girl that Jesus wants you to be. You know, and getting the values. And I kind of listened to that and it stuck with me. And then as I started, continued growing and, and learning more about the word of God, I, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And to start doing what he instructs. Find out what pleases God and do that. I'm still learning, by the way. But I have endeavored in my whole life to do that. And that is what we're doing. It's, it's, it's a choice. So serving is really being, being a slave. But you see, because God is a good master, he doesn't treat his slaves badly. <laughs> he treats his slaves with kindness. He gives us good things. He entrusts to us good things. But money is a horrible master. Money that, that, that whole idea is, of course, comes from the devil, and the devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And you think you're going to serve him. Some people even make pacts with the devil so they can become rich and can become famous, can become popular. They make pacts with the devil. And guess what? It happens. They become rich, they become famous, and they become miserable. And many of them land up with a bullet in their heads. Because they cannot put up with the pressure, with the oppression, with the, you know, the demonic stuff which happens in their lives. Guys, this is real stuff. And, and we need to talk about this. Because, you know, you think money, money, money. But you know what? Your heart, where it leads you, you know, uh, who you follow matters. And money matters because money can, can be a vehicle of blessing or it can be a vehicle of curse for you. The owner of the money. You see, money is neutral. But our heart towards it can, can bring good or bad. And so Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. Don't even try. And so in this verse, Jesus makes three things clear to us. Number one, you have to make a choice. Who will you serve? And all of us have to make this choice because all of us need money to live in this, in this planet. I mean, it does, I, I, you know, I can't go there too far, get a whole bag of groceries, and when I come to the till, I say, listen, my name is Valdir da Silva. I'm the pastor of this Christian church over here, you know. I work for the Lord. So can I have this for free, please? They're going to say, I'm glad you're doing that good work, sir, but I'm sorry, you can't leave unless you pay. Do I get a pastor's discount? No. 
you pay the same as the others. That's life, isn't it? We all need money. And therefore, we have to make a choice. And the earlier in life we do it, and youngsters and youth, listen very carefully. Some of you are still living on, on a little bit of money maybe you get from your parents or our jobs, but you're all going to grow up and you're all going to get your own jobs and, and do things, maybe start your business. Listen very carefully. Money must not own you. You must own the money. Okay? You must invest it. You must let it grow, but do it under the guidance of God. And you've got to choose today. Who are you going to serve? The earlier, the better. Am I going to serve the money or am I going to serve the Lord? You cannot do both. Some people try. And they'll try and be believers and they try and come to church and they try and sing. But once they leave the gates and they're back into, into the world, man, boom, they're under that thing of the money. And they make all sorts of wrong choices which are self-destructive. Destroys either them or destroys other people depending on what is happening over here. And so we have to make a choice. Who will you serve? And then whoever you choose, God or money. Now, as I say, in the original, the word is mammon or mammon. And uh, that word is a, is a word for riches personified. You've got money and then you've got mammon. Mammon is when money takes on life and becomes alive. Okay? And that's what happens. To people who serve money, money becomes alive for them. And they bow. Before this God of money. And they serve the God of money. And the God of money entices them. That's what he's talking about just. So he's saying, make a choice. Either God or money. Mm, interesting. And the one you choose, now listen. Whoever you choose, God or money, will have control over you. No, 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 no. You will be controlled. Whichever one you choose to serve will control you. You choose to serve God, God will control you. He's not going to force you, but he's going to instruct you, and you will willingly submit to God and do his will. Money, if you submit to money, if you put your trust in money, money will control you. And you'll be thinking of money all the time. You'll, you'll be sleeping money, waking up money, and it's going to bother you, and something's missing. And all you're going to be doing about is thinking about money and nothing else. And so it will control you. And whoever you choose is the one you will put your trust in. So if I choose God, I'm going to put my trust in God. And even when I face difficult times, my trust is in God. But if I choose money, my trust is going to be in money. And whenever difficult times come, I'm going to say, I can make more money, more money, because money is my God. Money is my Savior. Money is what is going to get me out of this mess. Money is what's going to make me happy. Money, money, you understand? So you have to choose. You have to choose. You know, Solomon said the following, Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. You see, when you choose to serve money, it will never be enough. Somebody once asked one of these multi-billionaires in the world, says, hey, listen, how much is enough? Don't you have enough already? How much more do you need? And he said, oh, just a little bit more. <laughs> how much a little bit more? I don't know. You know? But the fact is, when he got a little bit more, and you're asking the question again, what's he going to answer? Just a little bit more. Because you're never satisfied. Money never satisfies you. Now, 
Hearing all these warnings about the danger of money may cause you to wonder, well, as a Christian, um, if you should uh, desire to have money or uh, money and possessions, with all these things, maybe it's better not to desire to have money and possessions. And this is where the conflicting statements from those who believe in the poverty or prosperity uh, gospels come in. And that's what we're talking a little bit about today, is the whole po po poverty gospel or poverty theology and prosperity gospel or prosperity uh, theology. The, the poverty gospel or poverty theology is the idea that wealth is wrong and that poverty is pleasing to God. And I remember, especially in my youth days, it was, it was actually a whole movement of young people that were doing this. They were just getting rid of everything, giving everything away and just living by faith. Some of them would form like little communes and so on. And we are living by faith. You know, we're trusting God for everything. And so there is this idea that, you know, poverty is pleasing to God. And he often includes the idea that uh, voluntary poverty is of a high moral excellence. It really pleases God. And uh, this theology has produced a kind of monastic type of living. You know, when people go out into the deserts and, and they live in you know alone or in monasteries and they live almost out of nothing just for God and meditating and, and reading and praying and so on. Uh, it was very popular in, in some in the third, fourth centuries. And still today it happens. People still make vows of poverty and they get rid of all the material goods, worldly goods, and they live only for God and, and by faith and so on. Now this kind of uh, theology, they focus on scriptures such as Luke 6.20. Look at his disciples. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor. There you go. All right. If you're poor, you're blessed. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. And Luke 12.33, sell your positions and give it to the poor. And then Jesus tells them to provide the treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And, and for many people that believe in this theology, positions are viewed as a curse. And it is exclusively God's job to provide. I will live for God. I will trust God. And God will provide everything. How? I don't know. Somebody will come to me and give me something. God will put in somebody's heart to write me a check. I'll be going past and somebody will be kind enough to give me some groceries. They kind of depend on that kind of thing. Now, uh, people that follow this theology, very often, many of them are consumed with trying to meet their daily needs. And they are unable to help the poor because they themselves are poor. Okay? So that is very briefly, there is more to this theology, but very quickly, that is the poverty theology. Still very much alive today. Okay? The other one is much more popular, of course, is the prosperity gospel, prosperity theology. Um, you know, that's also known as the health and wealth gospel. And they claim that financial blessings are the will of God. And this theology emphasizes personal empowerment. And it often comes across almost as a, as a contract between God and mankind. You know, if we as Christians, if we have faith and we obey the word of God, God will give us spiritual and physical prosperity. You know, that's the kind of the, the idea that, that goes. And so it's almost like a trade-off. There's also the whole idea of, of, of seed giving, seed planting. If I want money, I'm going to give money because, you know, seed, you know, produces of its own kind. So if I want apples, I plant apples. But if I want money, I plant money. And so if I need a hundred thousand rand, I'll go somewhere and I'll give a hundred rand or a thousand rand and I'll just give it away. And I'm saying, God, now I've planted the seed. Now, Lord, you must give me my 
what I need right now, and I'm expecting that thing to come back. It's almost like a trade-off, a negotiation, you know, between us and, uh, and God. The theology, the theology focuses on scriptures such as, and Jesus said this, if you have faith as a mustard uh, seed, nothing will be impossible to you. So you want more money? What you need is faith to get what you want. All right? And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for. That's Matthew 21, uh, 12. The first one is Matthew 17, 20. And this one is Matthew 21, 12. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And of course, Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Okay? And so the prosperity theology gospel believes that prosperity is the reward of the righteous. If you are righteous, you will be prosperous. Now, that sounds good and it sounds attractive, except there's a little problem right there. How many righteous people do you know that are not very rich or very prosperous, okay? And you, yet you know these people, they love the Lord and, and they give and everything else, but they're not overflowing abundance. And so, you know, you look at these things and positions to, to the prosperity gospel, it's a right to them. So which one is right? And since both positions have verses, we tend to pick a side according to our experience, our previous teaching, and of course, according to our desire, all right? And of course, because people want to have more in life, many people go for the prosperity teaching. Now, when you pick a position, you tend to look at the verses that support your view and you ignore the verses that kind of go against it. Now, the Bible has lots to say about both ways. And the truth is that some people, God is going to tell them to get rid of stuff. You see, we've got a personal relationship with God. And you have to hold on to that. I had a friend that uh, one day God spoke to him. He was a bit, of a, a bit of a prophetic guy. And God told him, get rid of your TV. He says, God. And this guy loved sports, you know. And uh, i got to get rid of my TV. That's back in the days of TV. There was no social media. We told you, we're going to feel back here. So TV was all we had to connect with the world, okay, back in those days. TV and radio. And God told him, get rid of your TV. And it was hard for him, but he took his TV and he gave it away, okay? And for years, he had no TV. He was finding us, hey, what's the score? What's happening here? But you know what the problem was? And, and he realized this. TV was almost like a god to him. He had some goals in life. He wanted to study. He wanted to achieve some things. He had a, a growing family. But he was so stuck on that TV, he was ignoring his family and ignoring his goals. It was becoming a hindrance, hindrance to his future. After a few years without TV, he understood. And he realized that in those years, he got disciplined in his life and he got detached from the TV. And one day he felt the Lord say, you're okay now, you can get a TV. And he got a TV. By this time, he owned the TV. The TV didn't own him. Do you understand? So there will be times when God will tell you, do this, do that, get rid of stuff. Go through a season of, but it is not a principle that you can put across to everybody. 
Both positions have verses, and we tend to pick the one we want. But also, both positions have, have problems as well. Let's just quickly look at, at two problems from each one. Very quickly, there's more, but let's look here. Gospel, prosperity, the poverty gospel. Let's go to the poverty gospel first. There is a presumption, here's a problem. There is a presumption that anyone doing well financially must be doing something dishonest. Come on, I'm sure some of you sometimes have felt that. Yeah, comes a brother in Christ with a nice big car. Or you can visit the brother in Christ and he's got this massive palace. That's where he lives. And you go, hmm, brother, what are you up to? Huh? Because no honest, normal person could do this. Are you cheating? Are you stealing? What are you doing? You see, and because that person is into this poverty mode and, 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 and goods, good things are bad, they basically say if you've got positions and you're blessed, because if you've got all these things, um, you know, maybe you're being dishonest, you know. And you think maybe if you really loved God, you'd sell half of this and give it to the poor and you'd have a more modest car and you wouldn't wear such expensive clothes and you'd give more to the church. You, you do what I do. You'd give stuff away. And they become what? Judgmental of those people. The other problem is this. It exaggerates the role of sacrificial work. Now listen, people. Sacrificial work, doing sacrifices is part of our Christian life. Sometimes we have to give what we don't have. Sometimes we have to sacrifice time, sacrifice energy, go somewhere, serve people, you know, give of ourselves. It's a sacrificial thing. And it's, a, it's good to sacrifice for the Lord. It is required of us. And God blesses that, gives us the energy and all that. But this kind of theology makes the act, act of sacrifice, makes the act almost into a God. And they say, you know, God loves me because I sacrifice so much. God loves me because I gave everything away. God loves me because I sacrificed this and that and the other. And so they think that because they gave up a lot, they are more spiritual. And inside, they're looking at you and you've got some positions and they've got nothing. And they're kind of thinking, I am more holy than you because I gave everything up and you didn't. You're holding on to your goods. Oh, bad boy, bad boy, bad Christian, you know. I, I'm holy, you know, and, and it, it exaggerates the whole role of sacrificial work. The fact is that God does not love you because you gave up everything. He loves you because you are you. He loved you from the beginning, before you had the saint or before you had nothing. <laughs> he, he loved you. He loves you the way you are. Salvation has got nothing to do with what you have, what you don't have. He loves you full stop. Okay, you cannot do anything to make God love you more than he already does. You can disappoint him or you can please him as a son and daughter. But he cannot, you cannot do anything to make him love you more than he loves you right now. Okay, and so that's the fact. So beware of arrogance. You know, I gave up everything to serve God. And, 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 and if so-and-so loves God, they would do the same thing that I've done. Uh, be careful with that. Now the 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 the, the, uh, the um the uh, prosperity uh, gospel has some problems as well. And here's one. They believe that prosperity is a sign of God's approval. They basically say, if you've got positions, you are blessed. That's it. You've got positions. Oh, God is blessing you. Amen. <laughs> and it's because God approves of you. And God is blessing you. And God likes you. And therefore, you are blessed because of God. And so they judge you again by what you've got. And if you are blessed, if you've got goods, 
You are blessed. And there can be an arrogance in this kind of attitude, you know. Uh, just as, as poverty people uh, can have an arrogance about what they gave up and look what they gave up and so on, the prosperity people can have an arrogance about what they have. Look what I've got. Look what God gave me. Hey, I'm blessed, you know. And so it, it, they, they link blessing with a sign of God's approval and prosperity. So of course, when they come across you and you don't have as much as they do, they wonder, what have you done wrong? <laughs> it's the opposite of the poverty one, you know. Why don't you have a nice house? Why don't you have a nice car? You know, why do you live here? What's wrong with you? Don't you have faith in God? He can put a guilt trip on you. And unfortunately, many preachers are doing this. Many preachers are walking onto stage wearing expensive clothes, expensive shoes, jewelry, and so forth. And they're saying, you can have prosperity. You can be like this. And blah, blah, blah. And of course, they come and they, they park with the nice fancy cars and so on. And they preach this prosperity gospel. And then they say, you want to be like me? Come, bring me an offering. Plant a seed. Yeah. Right now. Come, come. Give me your money. The bigger the seed, the bigger the blessing. You, you feel guilty because he's telling you that if you were blessed, you'd have prosperity. If God loved you, if God blessed you, you'd have lots of stuff. And you go, oh my goodness. Yeah, man. Oh, I've got to get it. Okay. What must I do? Must I get Okay. I'm going to give, Pastor. And I've witnessed people giving jewelry, giving money, giving precious things with personal emotional value, giving to the preacher. The preacher, thank you, and off he goes and drives away in his big car, never to be seen again. And the time goes by and nothing happens. Three months, six months, a year later, those people are bitter, they're disappointed, they're sorry they gave their precious possessions, many of them with emotional value, that they gave it to the preacher. They regret what they did. And what happens to those people? They turn their backs on the church. They don't want to hear about preaching. They don't want to hear about money. They don't want to hear about, you know, these preachers, these TV preachers and so on. Of course, they judge all the churches and all the preachers by that event which they experienced. And that's what I said just now. You tend to judge your theology. One of the things you use is your experience. Your good or bad experience tends to cloud your thinking. So, guys, it is very dangerous, this kind of um, in, in, in indicating that you are if you, are, if you love the Lord, if you are blessed, you will be prosperous. Be careful with that. And then, of course, the second problem is that it creates wrong motives. You have to be careful with your motives because after a while, if you're not careful, you'll be serving God for the blessings. I serve God because the more I give, I get. And if I give, I'll get. And you begin to come to God as a trade-off thing. You're serving God because of the trade-off that you're going to get. If I serve you, I'm going to get money. I'm going to get health. Now, of course, we all want salvation. We all want possessions and so forth. But that is not why I serve God. I serve God because he's God. And I serve Jesus because he saved me. That's it. Everything that happens is ulterior, is, 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 is surrounding stuff. My motive is to serve him, and that should be our motive, okay? And uh, if you say, no, I'm going to serve God because he's going to make me wealthy or he's going to get me some money, uh, that's a wrong motive for serving God. So which one is right? Prosperity, poverty, you know? And, and the fact is that both theologies contain half truths they contain some good things and some bad things they contain some truth and they contain some deception and we have to be aware of that you see there is nothing spiritual about wealth or poverty if i'm rich doesn't mean i'm spiritual if i'm poor doesn't mean i'm spiritual 
You get, ri- you get rich spiritual people, and you get poor spiritual people, okay? It, it, the, what you've got has got nothing to do with your relationship with God. Um, suffering is not a sign of disobedience, okay? And prosperity is not a sign of God's approval. And Christians should never worship positions, and they should be committed to radical generosity, okay? That's our call, to be generous, Christians are to have faith and trust in God for all things. That's our starting point. We trust in God for all things that we need. They are to pursue a relationship with God himself for who he is, not for what I'm going to get out of him. Becomes in a selfish thing. I worship God and I want a relationship with him because he's God. He's like numero uno. There's no one above him. He's the creator of this whole universe. He's the one I've got to give an account to my life and the one I want to spend eternity with. And that's reason enough for me to have a relationship with God. Everything else is extra blessings which will come from that relationship. Amen? So we should never worship um, possessions and uh, we should be committed to really trusting God and, 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 and obeying him. Amen? As stewards, and there we go again, we have to come to that word. We are stewards. As stewards, Christians are to practice all the principles of the Bible, not just a select few that support a theology of man. Because let's face it, poverty theology and prosperity theology was men who created it. Some guys went over the Bible, picked out these verses, and started proponing, proposing, and preaching the theology. A couple of the guys took other verses and started preaching that thing. But you've got to read the whole Bible. You've got to read all the verses. And you're supposed to obey the whole Bible. So be careful of following teachings of men. What does the Bible say? What is God saying? As stewards, we are to practice everything that God says. So which one is right? The fact is, neither of them is really right. They will have off-truths. What is our call? Our call is not to be prosperity or to be poverty people. Our call is to be stewards. That's what the Bible says. From the beginning till the end. I'll go back to my first two parts. From Genesis to Revelation, what is the, the, the call on our lives? Be stewards. Look after what I've given you according to my principles, says God. Our call is to be stewards. Manage what you have well for the glory of God. It starts with what you have in your hands right now. It starts with managing debt, having a budget for what you have now. As we learned yesterday at the budgeting seminar, plan for the future. It is okay to take stock of where you are now and plan for where you want to be. It is biblical. And then to diligently work out your budget and be disciplined to put it into action. One thing is creating a budget. Another is daily discipline to carry that thing out. When we realize that all our money belongs to God, not just 10% or the tithe, we will spend our money as stewards for God. A steward is a money manager for God. When Christians are properly taught and get hold of this principle, we will not only give liberally to God, we will also spend the remaining funds according to God's plan. And as a result, we will prosper and our church giving will continue to grow. Amen? Because we are managing our money properly. We are not giving some to God, and then with the rest, we are destroying ourselves with bad habits and bad investments and and bad everything. No, we manage it well for the glory of God. God wants you 
to grow. Amen? He's, remember last week? He's going to ask an account. What have you done with what I have given you? Have you made it grow? Have you multiplied it? And so we need to use what God has given us, our brains and our capacity and our talents. It is not wrong to desire better things in life and work towards acquiring them. It's not wrong to have things, but it is wrong for things to have us. In the process of acquiring things, make sure you honor God first with your giving. Tithes, offerings, okay? And uh, if you're not giving to God's work and you're compromising your moral values to obtain more wealth, it is wrong. And that wealth will not be blessed. You have fallen into the temptation into, uh, that trap people into many foolish and harmful desires. And that plunge people into ruin and destruction, as you read earlier in First Timothy. And you might say, oh, but, you know, that guy is, is not doing God's will and he's prospering and he's not coming to ruin. Uh, don't worry, the day will come. If not in this life, on judgment day, you will see his ruin. Because we all have to give an account of what we have done with our life, our time, our talents, our treasure. Or whether you're a believer or not, you're going to stand before Jesus and you're going to have to give an account. And that is when, if you haven't done his will, if you've not obeyed his principles, if you have not been a good steward, you will meet ruin and destruction. And I'm preaching this to you because I don't want you to be one of those. I want you to arrive there and hear from God, well done. Hey, 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 well done. Well done. Well done. That's it. God, but I didn't do much. But you did well with what I gave you. That's what matters. It's not the, the, the quantitative amount. It's what did you do with what I gave you. And some of you had a little bit, but you did so much with that. And some of you had so much, and you did so little. God is looking at the whole proportionate thing. So let's aim for well done. And as we heard last week, like in any investment-oriented, like any investor-oriented businessman, God expects a good return on the resources he has placed under our control. When you look at the parable of Jesus, it is interesting. Every time the, somebody goes away, a master goes away, he comes back and then he requires an account from the servants. So first, we need to settle the issue of ownership. Does God own us and our lives? Have you decided who's going to be your master? Money or God? You cannot have both. You cannot have a little bit of both. <laughs> On Sundays, God is my master. Or Monday to Friday, um, you know, money is my master. Uh, weekend is for me. <laughs> All right? No, no. You, you've got to have one master. You cannot divide. First, you need to the issue, say the issue of ownership. Does God own us and our lives? Secondly, we need to settle the issue of trust. Are you going to trust our money or are we going to trust our God? Amen? And when we have difficulties with uh, stewardship, we're actually having a difficulty trusting God. When we struggle in giving to the church, we are struggling with trusting God. Hmm. Okay? Some say, people might say, ah, I will tithe and give more to God when I have more money. You know what? If you don't tithe when you've got a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks or ten thousand bucks, you're not going to tithe when you've got a million bucks. Okay? If it's difficult to give a tithe of a hundred, which is ten bucks, are you going to give a tithe of a million? It's like what? hundred thousand? Well, the church doesn't need that. The pastor doesn't need that. You, you don't realize you're not giving to the church. You're not giving to the pastor. You give it to God. And, and, it, and if you don't trust the church that you're giving to, please tell me, what are you doing there? Okay? So this is our relationship. God places us in local congregations so that as a family we can do his work. 
And where I am, that's where I give. And if I'm not happy there, if I don't trust there, I better look for a place where I can trust and I can give. <laughs> you see, but we struggle with that. We, we, it, it's, 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 a, it's a human thing. So I hope these, these things are helping us to align, you know. Now, it's all a matter of trust. Prosperity and poverty gospels, they have some good things. Poverty theology has, has, has they've, they've got some, some, for example, they say, they say care for people. That's what they, what they, they uh, part of the theology. Care for the poor people. And that is wonderful. Prosperity theology, they say, uh, be a channel for God's blessings. And, and, that, and that is good. But you see, the stewardship, being a stewardship takes the best of both worlds. It's, it's balanced. Stewardship doesn't ask the question, what did you give up? Stewardship doesn't ask the question, what are you going to do with what you've got? Stewardship asks one simple question, and yet it is. What are you doing right now with what you've got? I don't care if it's a lot or a little. You are a steward. The question is, what are you doing right now with what you've got? That's the issue. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your talents? What are you doing with your treasure, your possessions? What are you doing with your life? Huh? Think about it and make a decision today. And I want to close by reading a portion of, from Proverbs. I, I made reference to this in the beginning of the year, 1st of January, in that little devotional. And I said back then that we live in days that it's so easy, that it's so easy to get caught up in living and doing life that God tends to fall into second, third, or maybe lower place. And we have to be careful about that. Life is hard, I know. But we cannot ignore God. You cannot put God out because we have to survive. Both prosperity and need can cause us to forget about God. Sometimes some people are struggling so much with poverty, they haven't got time for God. Some people are so rich and so worried about maintaining what they've got, they haven't got time for God. So both extremes can cause us to forget about God as we try to get on with life and enjoy the benefits of life. It seems that extreme poverty and extreme riches are not good for the soul. And I tend to agree with the wisdom of Agur's prayer in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 to 9. It says the following, Lord, I ask you for two things. Don't refuse me before I die. And I says, God, give me these two things right here, right now, in this life. Why? Because in the next life, I don't need these two things. Here's the first one. Keep lies far away from me. Keep lies far lies about prosperity, lies about poverty, lies about, you know, how I do my life, lies about the world thinks this and the world thinks that, lies about being manipulated even by religious leaders. Keep lies away from me, my God. Help me to see the truth. Help me to see you. Help me to understand your word. Keep lies away from me. That's the first thing I ask you. Here's the second thing I ask you. Don't make me either poor or rich. But give me only the bread I need each day. Understand, when it says bread, it doesn't mean, oh God, give me a loaf every day, I'll be happy. No. The word bread is used for all the necessities of life. So Lord, give me what I need for my life. And when you read the Bible, you see that God wants you to give you more than enough. Because the New Testament says you should have enough for your needs plus some extra to bless others. That should be our aim. And so that's what it says, Lord... Give me the bread I need for each day. Lord, give me enough to live my life well and still some extra to be able to bless others. And then he says, if you don't, if you don't give me these two things, I might have too much, too much money. And then I might say, 
Oh, I don't know you, God. Okay. I might say, who is the Lord? You know, I mean, I made this money. It's my clever tricks. It's my ability. It's my skill. I made the money. I don't need God. <laughs> okay. Or he says, or I might become poor. I become so poor that I still, you know, I break the law. And then I would bring shame to the name of my God. Hmm. Keep me, keep lies away from me. Don't make, don't make me either poor or rich, but give me only the bread I need for each day. I think that's a good prayer, no matter what station of life you are in. So next week, we'll conclude the series with a message called Co-Workers with God. We will look at more scriptures dealing with money and positions and a, at practical ways of being good stewards of God here at Awaken Life Church, and I hope you will join us then. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, we acknowledge we are yours. What we have, Lord, and whatever we may have, a lot or a little, looking back, Lord, we acknowledge if it wasn't for your grace, if it wasn't for your strength, if it wasn't for your protection, we would not be where we are here today, Lord God. Many of us have had many, many struggles, Lord God, with our bringing, with, with politics, with, with so many things, sickness, disease, and yet here we are, Lord. You've enabled us to, to carve out a life and to be here today. Some of us have been privileged, Lord, with opportunities, and we've created a bit more wealth than other people, and we thank you for that, Lord God. But we declare, Lord, that it is yours. We ask you for guidance, for wisdom, to continue to manage these things well, Lord God. And no matter where we are in life, Lord, help us to take what we've got and multiply it and grow. Be it our skills, be it our gifts and capacities, be it the money that we owe, Lord God. Help us to multiply it. Help us to invest in your kingdom. Help us to make a difference in the kingdom of God with the things that you have given us, Lord. Thank you for your protection this day, Lord God, and this week. I pray, Father, for everyone that needs a touch of healing in their bodies. I pray for everyone, Lord, that needs emotional encouragement, Lord. For my, our bereaved brothers, Lord God, I thank you for your comfort and strength this week, Lord. And Lord, you know what everyone is going through, their joys and their sorrows. Those facing disappointments, those facing challenges. Lord God, you know, my God. And so I just pray for the flow of your anointing, for the flow of your Holy Spirit in each individual, in every family, in every home, Lord God. Let your Holy Spirit speak to us. Lord, I've preached your word, Lord God, but only you, Holy Spirit, can bring the revelation, can bring the practical application to each one's lives. I pray that you help us, Lord God, both here, online, listening to this message. Help us not to be forgetful hearers, to be hearers only, to hear the word, say yes, yes, amen, and then to leave these doors and, and forget about it. Lord, help us not to be that, but help us to go and ponder, go and think, go and meditate on your word, Lord God, and align our lives to your word. Speak to each one of us, Lord God. You know what each one needs. You know where each person needs to realign their lives according to your word. Lord, speak to us. Speak to me. Speak to my brothers, my sisters, everybody watching, everybody listening. Lord, speak to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us to align our lives to being good stewards so that we can look forward to that day when you meet you face to face. We give an account of our lives 
And we hear from you, well done, good servant. Thank you, Father. And now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us as we leave this place and live out as stewards of the Almighty God. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Amen.